you're listening to The Tech Box. Hello and welcome to episode 65 of The Tech Box. My name is James Honeyball and I've got with me today David Rich. Hi Dave. Good evening James. How are you? I'm all right. Yeah, I'm all right. How are you doing? Uh, I'm okay. Yeah, it's getting cold now. It is, isn't it? It's uh, good to have that sign of the seasons that it is actually a bit cold. I, w- I went out for a run a couple of days ago and yeah, my hands, start, you know, when your hands get a little bit cold, this you start not to be able to feel them a little bit. Yeah. Started to get, it was windy as well. So it just starting to get like that. And I just thought, oh, this is annoying. Gloves. Gloves, mm. James. There you go. Top tip, little secret, put gloves on your hands. Gloves and a little woolly hat. Maybe too far, but okay. gloves until it's snowing. Do you wear gloves? I would have thought that uh, a professional runner like yourself wouldn't need it, but... Oh, I do. My hands get freezing. That's one thing I can't stand. I'm I'm at that point at the moment where do I just wear shorts or do I wear my trousers? Shorts, trousers, shorts, trousers. It was a trousers day today. Um, But yeah, it's always a tough one because I feel I run better in shorts, but then trousers keep me warm. Yes, I tend to run in trousers or jogging bottoms unless it's unbearably hot outside such that it would be ridiculous to run in jogging bottoms but yeah i think i i go into the jogging bottoms for 90 percent of the year and only drop down to shorts for the sort of june august time lycra james it's all about the lycra yeah and and i do wear shorts over the top of my lycra uh trousers just just to um Reduce the chafing. Well, no, to hide the obscenities as I'm running. No one wants to see a man in lycra with nothing covering him. That's why Superman wears pants on the outside. Fair enough. But I think because <laughs> I'm a heavier person than you, I wear uh, like these kind of lycra uh, shorts to prevent chafing. Mm. Um, otherwise, the chafing can be quite bad. I mean, that is a piece of tech, isn't it? It's like a nylon-y bit of uh, tech to stop my inside of my uh, legs getting red raw. Vaseline, but that is another conversation for another day. That's next episode. <laughs> so yeah, Vaseline reviews. Yeah. On to more tech. So I think both of us have now had a couple of weeks now with this uh, M1 Mini. Yeah. And we're both probably using it at this moment. I'm certainly using mine. I'm not, but that's just circumstance of where I like to record. That's all. So I still record on the 16 inch and I'm still, I'm happy with the setup on it. So so do, do you still absolutely detest and hate your uh, Mac Mini M1? So, so I, I had a bit of feedback over the last couple of weeks and um, I, I think I came across as really negative. I don't detest and hate it. If anything, I'm envious that uh, and jealous that now my two and a half thousand pound 16 inch uh, behemoth is um, sort of made to look... Uh, uh, impotent by the uh, Mac, by the Mac Mini, so I, I don't hate it. I really don't hate it. It's I, I found it the last couple of weeks an exercise in learning all about uh, how the system on the chip works, the M1, comparing it to other uh, things like the new Snapdragon 8AA and all that. So um, I think it's great, and I, and I do think that's probably the way to go. Definitely, that's the way everything's going to go, and I, and I find it absolutely fascinating um, how it works how everything's on the chip, a bit of dedicated hardware for, you know, Apple don't have to just solve it in software. They can solve it in hardware now. Yeah. Uh, And I like that. So if I came across as negative, I don't. I just like to know the boundaries, know everything about what I'm using, and sort of, I don't know, delve really deep into it. Absolutely. I don't think you can know how good something is until you've found the one or two things that are bad with it you know and then you know okay 95 percent of it is really good this five percent is a little bit dodgy and i think we Mm. both shared a discovered dodginess in the current video drivers yeah i i think ours is a variation of said dodginess Mm. Uh, i think i think we it's both the same theme so we both have display issues but I think there's multiple issues, and and doing a googling around the subject at the moment, there are multiple issues that appear to be sort of at play here. Because you yeah. have one issue, I have the other. Um, so what's your one? Let's go through that. So it's it it's having two monitors. So 
I don't know whether that's similar to yourself, but it's having two monitors connected to the Mini. Yeah. For some strange reason, it doesn't like... It gets confused with um, two HDMI. So if you had two HDMI monitors, it struggles. So if I used the HDMI on the Mac Mini to HDMI on the monitor, and then I use a USB-C um, or Thunderbolt, whatever they're called, dongle, to HDMI and then into the HDMI monitor, it struggles. When you wake it up from sleep, um, the screens flash. The, the machine locks up, yeah. the, screens f- the screens flash, and it's as though it, it doesn't know which... It, it's something to do with having dual HDMI in there. Yeah. For some strange reason. It's trying to activate the HDMI, but it doesn't can't differentiate between the two links, I don't think. There's something at play, because how I've mitigated it, quite simply, I've used a HDMI to DVI dongle instead of the instead of the um instead of the HDMI straight out. Okay. So HDMI so into the HDMI port I've got a Apple HDMI dongle to DVI adapter and then DVI cable into the monitor and I then I've got USB C dongle to HDMI and then HDMI into the other monitor and I know they're both terminating uh, well now one terminates in DVI and that's all it takes. It's fine now. It it goes to sleep, it wakes up. It, it, I've got I still get the occasional bit of graphical artifacts uh, that appears to be quite common among them. Um, but they sleep, they wake up, the screens don't flash. The problem was it went to sleep, you woke it up, yeah. and you had to fully reboot the system. So I'm still getting one screen might occasionally not wake. Yeah. You have to unplug and replug the adapter, um, but it's a hundred percent better. The the side thing that I would say is that my Mac Mini 2012 always had the problem that once every four or five wakes, uh, one of the monitors wouldn't wake up. Yep. And getting it back, you had to put it back to sleep and wake it back up again. But that never locked the system. So I've still obviously I've still got that issue. That's clearly still present. But it was the whole the whole screen. I think I posted a video in the in the Telegram group of the screens just flashing on and off, flashing on and off, and you, you couldn't do anything. The whole system mm. locked. Um, you would literally have to unplug the monitors and replug them in, which is awkward. And the ma- the main change is that rather than go into the HDMI uh, connector on the monitor, you're going into the DVI connector via a, yep. an adapter. So instead of terminating in two HDMIs, so one HDMI on each monitor, I now terminate in one DVI and one HDMI. And... and, and it must be something to do with... I, I've got no idea how that works. No idea. I think there could be a little bit more chatter between the uh, machine and the monitor over HDMI than DVI. I think DVI mm. is a slightly older standard, isn't it? Yeah. So that might make sense. So maybe it's getting confused signals coming back. It doesn't know how yeah. to interpret them from two monitors at the same time. It's interesting that connecting my... Uh, monitor up with hdmi seemed to fix the problem that i was having Mm. so i had a problem that it was cutting out all the time the screen was going black and then it was coming back again and i I found one thing that really seems to irritate it is if you try and put it into hdr which the monitor should be able to support the colors go all wrong and then when you untick it they stay wrong um and i looked at the color properties you know there's that uh kind of color mapping property control panel you've got on uh, macOS. Yeah. And it was saying that it was on this kind of arbitrary color profile, which didn't look right at all. Um, So, but when I plugged it in with HDMI, it selected the correct color profile for my monitor. And now when I connect it in again with DisplayPort, it's still got the same monitor specific profile, which works. And I haven't ticked or unticked the HDR checkbox as well so that obviously isn't supported in my current configuration with all of my bits and bobs so i'm just going to leave it with hdmi off uh exactly as it's set up and so far i've not had a problem it certainly struggles when it wakes to get both monitors going it seems like it's really struggling to get both up but so far it's generally getting both up eventually Mm. after sort of 10 seconds ironically this is keeps getting i keep seeing youtube videos where this is held out to be one of the great advantages of the M1 oh yeah Max. yeah the, the fast switching yeah and i'm like oh well that's definitely not the case <laughs> for how i'm experiencing it i'm experiencing it as a bit worse 
than the old Mac Mini, which, you know, it's fine. For, for now, it's fine. If they improve it, great. Um, I've got a config that works now. And you know, when we were recording the last podcast, my monitor was cutting out every like 10 seconds. And I didn't know what was going on. That seems to have fixed itself. I'm, I'm mm. now recording again and it seems to be stable and not doing anything. So hopefully uh, I'm okay. Are you fully stable now on the screens? Yeah, I am. Apart from the old hiccup where it doesn't wake. But again, it, that's I, I've no, I've had that before. But multi, uh, Apple and Mac OS doesn't like multiple monitors, I've found, uh, with my time using multiple monitors. It's yeah. always been a bit finicky. Um, what one thing I'll, I'll add again, just to address um, uh, what some what Kev was saying um, before I, I, I before I sing its praises. See, um, so he, I installed the beta, didn't I? So I would been reliably informed that the with the update to eleven point one that it solved a lot of these graphical issues. So I installed that, and um, I had issue going back from it. It didn't. It didn't work. So I wanted to go back. And I had issue going back back from 11.1 back to the release version. Mm. And it's a whole new world of restore options. So usually on a Mac, you hold, you can do the internet restore. There's three different versions to do it. You can do it to the latest release for your computer. You can do, you can do the one that's built into the hard drive. So, yeah. The one it's shipped with basically, yeah. Well, so yeah. So you can do internet restore to the latest release, internet restore to the one it's shipped with. And there's another one. I can't remember what it is. With the new Macs, it's sort of got this recovery partition. You hold down on the Mac Mini, you hold down the Mac Mini power button for 10 seconds when you turn it on. Okay. And it will say loading up boot options. And it loads um, it loads sort of like a, a firmware version of the recovery. Okay. The problem I was having was what seemed to have happened with 11.1, when I held down... Uh, the power button, it rebooted into the 11.1 beta recovery. So my options were disk utility, uh, time machine, uh, reinstall the OS, but reinstall the beta, and then, you know, the usual utilities that you get. So obviously restoring, installing the beta wasn't really the option. There was no way to get that internet utility now, that internet recovery. So there's no way to go back to the shipping version. Okay. okay? So I thought, okay, what would I normally do on a normal Mac? Well, I would erase the drive. If you erase the drive, it starts up with internet recovery. Makes sense? Yeah. So I erase the drives, multiple partitions on there. Now you have the data partition for the user, and then you have the OS partition. So wipe wiped them both, put it back to blank drive, started it up. It didn't, obviously, there was no hard, there was no OS, so it didn't boot into anything. Again, I, I thought, okay, there's no internet recovery mode here. So again, I held down the power button to boot, boot back to that firmware utility. And again, usually you delete that and you delete the firmware, or you delete the recovery partition, don't you? But totally formatting the disk, all the partitions still left that um, firmware, that sort of recovery partition in place. So I still had the beta version. So I thought, okay, I've got a blank disk now. All I can get back to is this 11.1. What do we do next? Well, let's create a USB. Yep. So I created a USB, went to boot off that USB. Fine, it saw the USB. Brilliant. Booted off the USB, told me the USB was for an older version. Yeah. Okay, well, it was an older version. So so what it seems like is once you write that new operating system, it writes this firmware partition, which is totally untouchable by us. It's a gig in size, I've had a look at it. And it's totally untouchable by the user. And the normal USB technique to reboot back into that doesn't work internet recovery doesn't work and there's no there's no version to go back to so I, I did a bit of research and Richard pointed me in a few directions so there's there's a couple of ways of doing it now it's like plugging your you have to plug it in to another Mac in DFU mode you know like how you plug in your iPhone when it totally books mm. up mm. you plug it into um, the other Mac so you plug it into another Mac it's really weird what you do you have to I can't remember the button combination now. You have to totally pull power off, hold the power button down on the Mac Mini, and plug the power lead in, and it turns the standby light to red, and that puts it into DFU mode. So Apple Configurator 2 on the other Mac sees it and says, oh, you've got a Mac in recovery mode here. So wow. then you've got two, you've got a few ver- options then. You have a restore the firmware, which will restore just that recovery partition. So then you can reboot into that recovery partition and install the one that came with it. 
or the latest ship. Sorry, install the latest shipping version. Okay. You you there's a one to actually do a restore, which wipes that firmware, puts the right firmware back on, and also installs the latest version of macOS. And there's another one, just like with iTunes, and you know how you could reload the betas on the IPW files or whatever they were called. You know how when you download, you can download from the developer portal. You can actually download the uh, iOS actual software. Yeah. Well, you can do that with the macOS as an IEP, as a, I can't remember the extension name, but you can actually load it like you would iTunes. Wow. So in my, in my, uh, sort of looking around, it seems that it will only install the last signed version by Apple. So just like with iOS, it will, let's say you put iOS beta onto your, onto your phone, you can only go back to the last signed version that they release, or the release version. Once they stop signing it, you can't do it. Yeah, yeah. Which doesn't sound like a big thing, and and it probably isn't for your average user, but you think, let's say, and, and Kev says and Richard says, oh, but that's not your average user, but you used to be able to just install what you like on these. You know, you could install Windows in Boot Camp, you could install Linux on it normally, and you could install any version of Mac OS that it had shipped with to what it was running now. And you think of the situation we had with iOS 7, all those iPhone 4s that mm. went to iOS 7 that were rubbish. Rubbish. But you could never go back, could you? That yeah. was never the case with Mac. You Let's say you had a, a Mac with a 8 gig of... Let's say you have a MacBook Air with 8 gig of RAM three or four years down the road. You suddenly jump on that the last version that they make available to it, and that's sort of stretching its hardware limits. And you think, do you know what? It was really usable on the on the one before, and and I've updated because it's a good thing to update. And do you know what? I can't go back now because they're not signing it. Yeah. Um. I don't know. As I said, it it's not a massive issue. It's not. A, there's. I'm technical enough. That I can get around it. Um. But I don't know. Just longevity wise, you 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 always make that in 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 the latter years of its hardware usefulness. You, you potentially could end up on a version of the operating system not being able to go back to the last good version for it. Yeah. I think for Macs, that's less of an issue. Mm. Do you know what I mean? I think... Uh, if it's always at- when RAM requirements change, though. You say, like, let's say you suddenly... It runs fine on all those versions where 8 gig was the sort of standard and you had an 8 gig. But then they started shipping Macs with 16 gig minimum and suddenly the operating system became a bit more complex... And it really just needed a little bit more than eight to, to run it, for example, in the future. That's when it starts to be a bit iffy, if mm. that makes sense. I don't know. I just find it interesting. Like I said, I, I, I'm, it's not a bad thing. I just think it's, it's basically a phone now, isn't it? <laughs> That's the good thing. It's a yeah. phone. It's yeah, got yeah. a phone chip in it. It's a phone. So it's my findings, James. My findings. So that's, uh, I think we could put that down into the frustration territory as you were trying to go to and from oh, it, the beta. Uh, it's, it, it's fun. It's fun. That's the fun territory. I don't think it's a bad thing. I don't think it's a good thing. I think it's uh, incredibly interesting how it's all changed. I, and I like that. And, you know, it's progress, isn't it? Whether it's good or bad, it's one of them things. Yeah, that's true. So how are you, how are you finding it for the tasks that you're throwing at it in terms of, uh, you know, playing with it and working with it, etc.? Well, I set about a benchmark, James, because I've been debating, you know, as much as everyone thinks I hate it, I actually really quite like it. And... Um, I've been debating, do I want to get a 16 gig model? I got the 8 gig, so it was yeah. a nice cheap investment. And do, do you know what? There's that part of me that thinks, just get a 16 gig. So anyway, so I I made a video. So I had a 4K video, and um, I put it together. It was an hour long. It's a quite a hefty home video. I think it's like 58 minutes. I, I, I rendered it from iMovie, and it came out with 21 gigabytes. So what I then did was I did a handbrake conversion down to about two gigabytes, and I did it on the 16-inch, and I did it on the uh, M1. Yeah. Just as a as a as a pure benchmark, light for light comparison with the same file. So bear in mind the 16-inch, uh, six-core i7 processor, so theoretically 12 cores with hyperthreading, 16 gig of RAM, dedicated GPU. Um, it came in 58 minutes. 58 minutes, pretty much like for like. Yeah. Okay. M1 Mac Mini, um, 47 minutes. Okay. And that 16-inch was working so hard, 
it sounded like a it was going to tear uh, take off and the and it had it plugged into power and it was actually going down mm. because it was using more power than the power brick could supply to actually actively charge the battery at the same time yeah it's crazy so, isn't it yeah, and whereas the M1 didn't even didn't even hit it, and I had, and I was looking, and it was just it was purely GPU utilization, pretty much. Uh, so you had the GPU on the MacBook Pro being fully utilized, and that's a dedicated one. Whereas the M1, it's just using the unified memory, isn't it? From, yeah, from the chip, and it's astonishing. It was, you know. It, it, it looks good for when they release, when they update their higher spec machines and they're going to go f- to their own dedicated GPUs. Yeah. It looks very good. It's effectively 11 minutes saved over an hour. It's quite a lot, actually. Yeah, it is, but it's not crazy improvement, is it? I think that's a really interesting benchmark because it demonstrates that your 16 inches is still within touching distance of it. Pretty, pretty close touching distance, really. I see what you mean because I, I've seen a lot of YouTube videos where they're like, oh, look, it takes the MacBook Pro 16 inch two and a half minutes but the M1 does it in like a minute and 30 yeah. seconds yeah exactly and that's yeah. just but, but I don't know I just found it it was faster it was faster yeah um, by 11 minutes which it, actually do you know what that's it's nearly 25% faster isn't it let's be fair 25% over over an hour was my maths alright yeah nearly nearly 15% so about 20% faster something like that I think that it's just, you're right. It's amazing that a tiny little bottom of the range uh, Mac can now compete with a absolute top of the range 16 inch. That's great. Um, and as you say, really, it just points to the potential in the future, doesn't it? Because, mm. you know, we know that this is going to be the bottom of the range chip and they're only going to make stronger ones for the 16 inch new M1X MacBooks and the iMacs that they'll bring out and you know possibly in the future Mac Pro so it bodes well but the interesting thing for me was you know I got the same one as you I got the base Mac mini and I I kind of really wanted the 60 uh, 16 gigabytes yeah but you know I did resent paying uh 200 quid for eight gigabytes of RAM and really rather than just uh you know, having it there for safety, I thought, well, let's use it. Let's use it and see if memory ever does become a problem. Because, you know, when you're using, you know, an old laptop and you see that RAM does become a problem, it's fairly evident. And it tends to, you can, you generally tend to be able to back out of what you're doing, close a few apps and carry on and, you know, curse the lack of memory, but generally live on. I'm just going to see if I hit that, to be honest, on this Mac Mini. Because it it works really well. It's really fast for me. I have now uh, played about in iMovie and uh, rendered some videos in there. And it's tons, tons faster than my old uh, Mac Mini. But then my old Mac Mini was a lot, lot slower than your 16-inch MacBook Pro. So uh, it didn't have as much to compete with, really. Uh, but it's definitely tons faster really nippy Uh, i've certainly not hit any memory issues so far i wouldn't expect to really but maybe in the future when i do hit it i'll see exactly what i'm running and whether it's reasonable and uh, whether i do want to go to 16 gig i kind of quite happy sitting on the eight for the moment and seeing how i get on did you see the um did you see the screenshot i posted earlier did you no what did it say did you not did you not see the apple order screenshot that i posted oh yes yeah, I saw that one. Yeah, I, I may very well back out of that yet, but um, I don't know. Fourth of Jan doesn't seem too bad. I The only advice that I would give on that is to try and hit the limit as it stands. But I know, basically, if you've got 16 gig of RAM in it, I get the impression that 8 is absolutely fine and 16 would be overkill. And, you know, sometimes it's good to go for overkill, you know, just to make sure you never hit that problem. <laughs> I don't know. It feels safer to have 16 than yeah, not. I agree. I feel uncomfortable that I've got 8 because I I can't remember the last time I had uh, 8 gig of RAM in any machine. I think it would be my 12-inch MacBook, but that's kind of, at the time, that was the most RAM they put in it because I got the 2016 one. I, I know they upped it to a possible 16 gig in the 2017 one, but not the one that I bought. So I was, in theory, I've got the maximum RAM of that particular exact model. But, you know, all of the, my, the you know, Hackintoshes, the old Mac Mini, all the sort of PCs I've got, you know, I've always crammed tons of RAM in just to be sure. 
Uh, and now I'm a little bit nervous sitting on this 8 gig of RAM, but for me, I'm just going to give it a go and see if I do hit it. I've seen a lot of reports on the internet uh, saying that, don't worry, it'll be fine. And I'm just trying to take that attitude, really. And that was part of my decision about getting the the, the lower RAM. It just seemed a bit overkill putting 16 gig in a Mac Mini that's just a part-time desktop, if that makes sense. Yeah. Well, you've got a few weeks to debate yourself, haven't you? 8th of Jan, I can return the 8 gig, which is what I was thinking. Do you know what I mean? So Yeah. So the other new Apple device that we've got is the uh, new iPhone. So I just wanted to have a little follow-up on the iPhone 12 Pro Max. And I know that I think this will be like the third time we've talked about this now, but I have started to have some worries about the iPhone image quality and how it's being, you know, the characteristics of its processing Um, I remember looking at a couple of photos from a a time that I had a few weeks ago, a few weeks whilst we weren't in quite such a heavy lockdown. And I took a photo of my dad and I'd noticed that it really over sharpened and it looked uh, uh, quite unattractive. You know, the, the processing wasn't great. And I took some photos a couple of weeks ago with the 12 Pro Max. That previous photo was with the 11 Pro. Uh, And I've taken the photos with the 12 Pro Max now, and I took them on four different devices. And I tried to get, I tried to do a little bit of a a shootout, if you like. The 12 Pro Max, a a mirrorless camera, a compact camera, and the Pixel 5. And of those four devices, the 12 Pro Max took the least appealing photos. And that's without delving into which was the best technically. Obviously, the photos coming out of the two proper cameras were, they weren't quite as technically accomplished in terms of like the HDR and everything, but they were just so much more attractive as photos. And that's probably unsurprising. You'd probably accept that that was the trade-off that you'd get there. You know, you've got a little bit more glass, a little bit of a bigger sensor. It's not going to do any fancy processing on it, but it's just going to give you a natural photograph of it. So perhaps no surprise there. But the Pixel 5 just looked more appealing do you know what i mean yeah yeah so i feel that i don't know whether i was wrong previously thinking that the iphone produced the most natural looking photos that you generally got on a phone or whether that processing has changed over the last year or so but certainly now i'm thinking well based on the small amount of research i've done if i'm going to be photographing people i actually want to be doing it with the pixel 5 I I'm in agreement with you. I was always of the opinion that the iPhones were natural. I've always noticed that. Yeah. I'm, I Android wise, I like Samsung, and historically, I've always had back back in the day. I had the Note two, the Note three, um, so I always had the Note or the S range and an iPhone. And for me, the Samsung was always vivid, nice popping colours. Um, sort of glorified photographs, whereas the iPhone was very light, for, for, sorry, very natural. Yeah. And I'd say probably dull, but dull in yeah. a way that it's realistic because yeah. we live in a dull country, don't we? Um, so to hear you say that you don't think that, because I don't notice that on the, uh, on the iPhone, um, 12 Pro. I don't really don't notice it. They look to me like they always have looked. Now, whether I've just become accustomed as they've changed it over time, yeah. Not noticed. Do you think this is substantially different to the old 11 I that you had? I think so. I, I always remember that you'd get a fairly warm picture from an iPhone, but now they're really bleached out, really bright, overbright, and oversharpened. Have you still got the 11 kicking about? Yeah. And it, it, see, the, the, my initial photograph that I took a few months ago uh, when we were between lockdowns was on the 11 Pro. And I felt the same when I looked at that on a monitor. It's, it's generally when I'm looking at these things on a monitor, less so on the screen, because obviously mm. you notice that kind of thing less. And if they've over oversharpened it, it, it doesn't look so bad on, when you're just looking at it on the screen. And that was the other thing, you know, iPhones always did tend to not just uh, adjust their photographs so they look good on the screen. They also look good on the monitor or printed out or, you know, when used uh outside of just looking at it on the phone screen but now i'm not sure that that is quite the case i don't know 
I don't know whether it was just that I didn't spot it before um, or whether my tastes have changed. But yeah, I'm just kind of thinking, actually, if you're a, a family event or something, and let's hope that we have more of those in the future, actually whipping out a, uh, a point and shoot is now is not a bad option for me now and i think um maybe i will do that maybe i'll start going back to where i know that i'm going to be taking photos that i'll take my point and shoot and i haven't done that for years Mm. on on that printing out thing i've I've got a issue that maybe you could solve for me so it's uh, the uh, the wife has an iphone 11 um, she took some photographs of the children the other week and she sent off to have them printed off. So we're not talking huge prints. Maybe I, I've got no idea. Slightly bigger than your normal normal print, but nothing huge. Sort of A5 sized? Yeah, let's say A5. Is that slightly bigger than the A4? Just the one smaller than A4 or half A4, I guess, I guess. Uh, one second, I can actually... Oh, chair for you there. Let's have a look. Yeah, we'll go with that. Slightly smaller than A4. Um, they look uh, terrible. Uh, they don't look terrible on her phone. Yeah. They look amazingly crisp, but they look blurry. Now, is that a issue with the actual photo and Apple making it look decent on the actual screen? Yeah. Or is that a problem with the printer for the company that's actually sent that's printed these photos off? Where does that problem lie? Because I would assume if it looks... Am I right in assuming if it looks good on the phone, that's how it looks in real life? Or are they applying trickery to it? Well, I think the only thing would be the obvious thing of it just being smaller on the phone and you're less likely to notice stuff. You, you can be slightly out of focus... Uh, on so, the phone. so she comes back with the zoom. She she zooms in on it and goes, "Look, even zoomed in to a similar size, it looks comparably different." Mm. I'd be tempted just to you know stick the iPhone into one of those uh, printing machines at a supermarket. You know those. Uh, yeah, that's what I tr- suggested. Yeah. yeah, and just print a few of those out on a proper, you know, high quality photo printer from there and see whether the same characteristics are still there when it's printed out on there. And if it is, then, yeah, it might just be the photos themselves. But it could just be that the place that you had them done was having an is off naff. day. Is naff anyway, yeah. These things happen, don't they? But that's that's the question. It sort of links back into your thing. Are we being fooled? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Because what we are taking with computational photography and the way phones work, what we see could be absolutely... 100% different to what is actually occurring. Yeah. And it's there. We're just being shown something different. Yeah, you do worry that uh, given that, you know, the computational photography is adding so much detail in, it's adding so much processing in, that it's adding that in skewed towards viewing it on a 5-inch, 6-inch screen rather than mm. it being viewed on a poster or a you know, an A5 or, you know, even a 6x4 or something like that, you know, what's it optimising for? It's a really good question. I think Gav would be able to answer us that. that how do we... F- He'll just say something like roar at me and I've got no idea what that means. Yeah. But there must be a way of saying that is the actual sensor data and stuff. This is what it looks like. This is what you're being shown. It's yeah. to be... I, I don't know. It's yeah. out of my depth. And I think definitely that roar is the answer for that. I think um, Mm. if you take raw, then you're more in control of what the processing is, isn't, aren't you? So uh, it could be that going forwards, the answer is to um, take your iPhone photos in this new Apple raw format and process it later. But I have to say that uh, I've not got any expertise in uh, raw editing. All my minimal photo expertise is just with the... uh, jpeg just with the finished product uh maybe it's something that i should get into a little bit more it does seem to be you can get a little bit more out your photos when you're processing them from raw but uh i I spend enough time editing photos as it is i don't really want to take you know three or four more dimensions into account when i'm doing my editing (laughs) i'm absolutely useless every two or three years i'll download another ios photo app and i'll 
text Gavin and say, what's exposure mean? What's this yeah. mean? What's that? And then he does his best to, you know, humor me and tell me the exposure's this to do with this. And then I'll go away and I'll play for 20 minutes. And then that'll be it for the next two or three years as I just take everything on auto. Yeah. But uh, you do a call soon, Gavin. So yeah. stand by. <laughs> I'll tell you what, the the interest, an interesting follow-up uh, for when we last spoke as well was, I've got this uh, iPhone 12 pro max but i've also got still got my 11 pro and i was having a problem with the speaker and Mm. i sent it off to apple and i sort of said to them as i was really worried that they weren't going to find a fault wasn't i and they're just going to send me back the same phone say sorry no fault found um and amazingly they replied to me saying well we're sending you a replacement and they've sent me a brand new potentially a refurb but you know apple refurbs are to all impact all intents and purposes, brand new. A brand yeah, everything that's user touchable is replaced. Yeah, yeah. So, so let's just say brand new um, iPhone 11 Pro, and it's obviously now got a proper full battery. Uh, the speaker what is perfectly fine. So this is a bit strange to me because I would have thought that replacing a speaker component, which I can only assume was the thing that had gone slightly wrong, can't imagine it being in the logic board or somewhere else that they just decided to send me a whole new one rather than just take the, you know, one pound speaker out and putting a new one in. It's weird, isn't it? And whenever you see one of these teardowns, the speaker's normally pretty uh, discreet. It's pretty separate to the rest of it. And, you know, it falls out or they pick it out or whatever. And you can imagine them putting a new one in without too much problem. But yeah, sent that back. And, you know, good service from Apple, I guess. Uh, I got uh, a brand new iPhone 11 Pro. And what it does do is just highlight how important it is to back up your phone properly before you send it to Apple, because they might decide to pull this at any moment. And luckily, I did a full uh, backup, you know, encrypted backup on the new Mac Mini and a full reset as well. So it's fully reset by the time I sent it over to them. Uh, So I couldn't lose anything. And uh, that uh, lucky I did that, really. Uh, you know, I would have, I, given I thought it was going to be either, sorry, no fault found, or, yeah, we've just swapped out the speaker. It was a quick two-minute job, have it back. I almost didn't bother, you know, doing a backup because I was pretty confident I'd be getting the same phone back. Yeah, I, I found with Apple, and I think um, it's, it's sort of similar across all of their products, if it goes, if you send it off to them, i.e. not a genius bar, um and it's something where a bit of in-depth analysis has to... Let's just say it's something that it, it could be one of multiple issues. They'll just swap it out. Because I think they just plug it in. There's a test suite that they they run on it. If it doesn't flag up, they say, well, there's obviously a problem because it's been flagged by the a Apple support and the user's having a problem. Our test suite can't find it. Just send them another. Yeah. And I think it's probably more efficient... Than paying the labour because I don't think the, these aren't Apple employees, are they? They're they're contracted for Apple, the people that do all this. Maybe, yeah. So I I, I don't think that it does go. I, I remember the name of the company. I've seen it. I've had it a couple of times. It is a third party, sort of like a hub of they 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 they're not that skilled technician. They're not going to look into it. It probably works out cheaper just to send you out a refurb one, refurb yours, recoup some of that by the time they've paid the labour to. And and even then, you know, there's no guarantee that that guy opening it up isn't going to mess it up or break a pogo pin here or there or something. So I think that's an interesting point, because I think that if they would have plugged it in, my expectation would be that it would be no fault found, because how would the software diagnostics determine mm. that um, there was a slight fault with the speaker? Because it's, you know, yeah. I, I was assuming it was some uh, damage, physical damage that had been done to the speaker, not a logical thing that could be picked up through diagnostics. So yeah, maybe yeah. you're right. Maybe they plugged it in, no fault found. And they just thought, oh, well, you know, let's just give them a new one. That's it. Whatever the problem is, it's going to be fixed by just giving them a new one. Anything intermittent or anything where there has to be, it's testable, if that makes sense, that they can't just plug it in. Let's say they need to spend an hour on it listening yeah. And, and, yeah. and hearing it. And it's, again, it's subjective or it doesn't show itself. It's a problem that occurs maybe once or twice a week or it'll reboot itself a couple of times a day. They haven't got a day to wait to see if it reboots itself. I do know, though, the Apple Store, 
they do have a, a machine where they can test it overnight because I've had a, a few laptops repaired and they, they, it, they get repaired or replaced and then they'll test them overnight on this special test suite. So I think that's more the case of laptops, but certainly phones are not going to go to that much effort. Mm. But um, you've, you've done well. Um, an Apple refurb essentially is anything that a user would touch is replaced. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's probably only the logic board that's in there that's the same. So uh, it does mean that my 12 Pro Max is looking very... Um, <laughs> uh, Surplus to requirements? Large? Precarious, a little bit. Yeah, it's just too... I mean, after you've used the 12 Pro Max for a little bit and then you go back to the 11 Pro, it's like you've got like a little iPhone <laughs> SE or something. It feels so tiny and so light. And, you know, we all know that the 11 Pro is not is a very dense and heavy phone normally. Yeah, it's just yeah. in comparison to the 12 Pro Max, it's it feels like a feather. So yeah, it is very um it's very tempting just to give another year to this uh, 11 Pro it really is. I was in the Apple store with the um I finally got the Beats to a Genius Bar. Oh yeah. And you know that they were it's basically one the left one has become unchargeable, but we could but he didn't have a uh, he didn't have a demo store set a, a demo set in the store, so he couldn't ascertain whether it was a charging case or it was the actual left one. So as you saw on the, again, I posted the works order, they've sent it off to sort of be examined, i.e. just be replaced because that's easy. How, how is someone going to wear, is someone going to spend their time testing it? They're not. It's, they're just going to get swapped. But each individual jewel, it, I think it came to like £383 was the repair quote, wasn't it? Yeah. For an item that's like £220. It's, it's crazy. Um but so there we hopefully they'll be coming back to me because they're going to send a direct replacement to to my home address. But I I had hands on with the mini is the story of that. I actually managed oh, to yeah. hold. Yeah. What did you think? Oh, it's lovely. I got I got my twelve Pro out side by side and I held them up and I thought because I thought to myself I thought maybe the screen the whole screen on this phone. Is the same. I don't know why I thought this is the same as the 12 Pro. Maybe they've just got rid of the bezel. But then I had a bit of a moment where it's like, well, there actually isn't any bezel on either of them. So have a chat with yourself, Dave. But holding it was lovely. To be fair, it was really nice. I had that moment where I thought I could, I could get this instead of the 12 Pro. It's so much lighter. It makes yeah. such a difference. Such a difference. The only problem I think with that one is going to be that battery. Because apart from that, it's uh, quite a tempting proposition, isn't it? Yeah, MagSafe though. MagSafe. I don't buy into this thing about using <laughs> um, wireless charging throughout the day as an answer to not big enough battery. No, I, I, I'm never near a wireless charger throughout the day, and I don't charge it overnight on a wireless charger. It's literally just there, just in case. <laughs> no, it is nice. Uh, I if I would say if I didn't have this, I'd probably go for a mini. I I I, I don't think the features that I'd lose from the Pro, I'd, I'd be that, uh, you know, bothered about, to be perfectly honest. Um, they're nice to have what you're losing, I'd say. Yeah. And I like the red as well. I'd have the red. Yeah, do they do that's red? true. They do that, uh, like, coral red for uh, the non-pros, don't they? Which I think yeah. people have voiced a little bit of um, disgust about, you know. They're saying it's not red enough, but uh, it's some shade of red. Yeah, it's a, it's a nice phone. I can see why people would like it. I really can. Um, but I'm going to stay with one phone this year, not four. That's good. That's good. Have you got your eye on anything else, Mini? What about that uh, HomePod Mini? Oh, yeah, I, I got a HomePod Mini in. You actually got yep. one in? Yeah, got, I got a HomePod Mini. Um, do you know the major reason I got one? Because speaker you're... for the Mac Mini. Oh, uh, okay. Hmm. Yeah, so Did you the, Mac that Mini. the Mac Mini's got a built-in speaker this time. I'm sure it didn't have before. Maybe. They've always had. Yeah, no, I suppose it always has because they've always done the bong, haven't they? Yeah, but it's a really incredibly poor one, and I had a set of Logitech surround sound. But when I was hooking them up to the uh, Mac Mini, I noticed that the left channel had died on it. So um, I just thought, I'll, do you know, what? I'll get a HomePod Mini and try it. And AirPlay 2 is not much good with it. I don't know whether it's the HomePod Mini that's got the issue or the Mac Mini, but let's say I'm watching YouTube. Everything syncs fine. Their lips are synced to the sound. But if I press stop on the YouTube, the HomePod Mini keeps going for like two seconds <laughs> with Weird. speech from the video. But it, when you pre when you start it again, it does sync back up. So, you, you know, it's a small price to play to hear two seconds after you hit stop. Um, what's it like? It's nice. 
I've never had a home normal HomePod. It's better quality than a couple of other Bluetooth speakers I've had. I've not really got a benchmark, James. We actually we've got an Anchor Sound Core here, oh, Sound yeah. Core yeah, Two. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't say it's really that much better than that. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of what I would expect it to be. To be honest, I've got one of those um, Anchor Sound Core things somewhere. Mm. Uh, Siri is useless as always. Actually, do, do you know what? That's doing her a disservice. She's not that bad. I have all the Philips Hue lights. And I can just ask her to turn a light on and off, and that's fine. I can ask her to change her volume, and that's fine. And I can ask her to play a song on Apple Music, and she plays it. And the good thing about that is, usually, if you're airplane to something, I, I'm the one with the Apple Music subscription in my family. It's not a family plan. Uh, therefore, no one else can listen to Apple Music. But for some strange reason, with the HomePod, if, even if I'm not in the house, it uses my Apple Music subscription. So the wife can say, play so-and-so, and it just plays it. Doesn't that mean it pollutes your recommendations? Probably. Probably. But I'm not that... Uh, uh, Word. Anal. <laughs> about my uh, my Apple Music recommendations, because my taste in music is pretty poor anyway. Fair enough. Uh, but £99, it's probably a £50, £60 speaker. You're paying Even a little bit much, extra. Really? Mm, well, the, how much is a sound core too? It's about uh, 50 quid. I'm sure uh, it was like 40 or 50 pounds. Maybe, maybe, yeah. It's as good as that. I wouldn't say it's any better than that. And if I'm thinking right, probably the sound core is a stereo speaker because it probably has two speakers in there. Yeah, yeah. Whereas this, you need to spend 200 pounds to get a stereo speaker. Yeah. That's my only gripe. Um, I guess you've probably got a good use case there. I imagine it's actually quite a good PC speaker, whereas it's yeah. probably not a great hi-fi speaker or you know something that you can put in your kitchen and fill the room with music and that sort of thing i've got it slap bang in the middle of where my map of where i sit because <laughs> yeah. if you put it off to your left it's rubbish because it's yeah. not stereo pair or it has to be straight in the middle yeah i can uh, imagine yeah <laughs> straight in the middle of where i'm sat on my desk but it does the job now granted i probably could have got a lot better pc speaker set up for 100 pounds um but hey, it uh, does a couple of other things as well, you know, Siri. It's always nice to have. Uh, yeah, I think, um, <laughs> to be honest, I, you know, I don't stretch these voice assistants at all. You no, know. me neither, to be fair. I, I really don't. So any of them would be absolutely fine. All I do is listen to normally the radio through them and uh, set timers for cooking. Um, that's pretty much it, really. Maybe check the weather, but not really you know i'm not normally actually yeah. that bothered about the weather so and i don't even check anything about it uh, unless it's going to be nice and sunny in which case i will do but yeah the, I, I kind of can take or leave these uh, voice assistants and I, and I completely like my um my amazon what do we call them echoes you know i wouldn't be i wouldn't be without them but uh, i certainly don't uh, use them to the max every time i sort of speak to siri i feel like i'm just talking it to it to test it do you yeah, know what I mean? I, I, it's yeah. like I don't have a valid use to talk to you. Yeah, but yeah. I'm just, I'm just gonna. It's like I'm just purely trying to catch you out. It's uh, not intuitive, is it? Really, to be fair. No, no. But it, it's all right. So since we'd last been on, we've had Black Friday. Yep. And uh, were you tempted with any Black Friday goodness? No. So I looked. There's just nothing, is there? I mean, if I wanted a toothbrush, that'd be good. Yeah. But no, nothing. I got the one thing you can always count on on being a bit cheaper on uh, Black Friday. What's that? An Amazon Fire TV stick. Mm, okay. I think that is literally about the only thing is that Amazon knock, you know, 20, 30% off their Kindles and their uh, Fire devices and things uh, on Black Friday and Prime Day. I think that's about the one thing you can count on, isn't it? Uh, but at this point, that just feels like you're just buying it for just buying something's sake. <laughs> Uh, to a degree, well, yeah, you're absolutely correct in the end <laughs> there, Dave. You're absolutely correct in the end because uh, it was £19 for this Fire TV light. I got the light, the cheapest one you could get. But at the end of the day, I, did quite, I do kind of want a stick, a streaming stick that I can take with me places. And the Apple TV and the Shield TV are both a little bit big i know that they're not really you know they're they're still relatively small but 
a streaming stick, you know, is is you can't get smaller. It's absolutely tiny. So I was looking, I was wondering whether this could sort of fill that gap. And it is a really impressive piece of kit, this uh, Fire TV Lite. It's not the 4K version, which, for you know, for 20 quid, you can probably expect. I think the full price of it is 30 quid. Mm. But even at 30 quid, I think it's pretty good value. And it has a really good feature on it, which I'd not seen before, which is it's only 1080p, but it'll do HDR in 1080p. Now, a lot of streaming devices will do 1080p in HDR as they kind of get find the bandwidth to, to scale up to 4K, you know, because they'll, you know, when you sort of start streaming something, it starts low bandwidth and blocky. And then as it discovers it's got the bandwidth, it will then put the um, resolution up, essentially. It will take the higher resolution streams. Um, but this one will top out at uh, 1080, but it will take the HDR 10 stream from a lot of services. So hmm. Netflix, Amazon, Disney+, Plus, Apple TV, it'll take the 1080p uh, HDR signal. So that's really cool because, you know, the, that's the big improvement with these new 4K systems is the HDR capability. Actually getting 2160p on the resolution is rather a secondary benefit. Yes, if you've got an 80-inch massive cinema screen, then having the 4K resolution uh, is good. But otherwise, just getting the HDR is important. So I was testing this stick out, and I started testing it against all my other streaming devices. And it came out pretty well. So certainly, um, as I say, certainly value for money. It has a slight limitation that it doesn't support changing Dolby Digital Plus down to Dolby Digital. And whilst that sounds probably a little bit complicated, basically stuff like Netflix and uh, Disney Plus, all of their surround sound audio tracks are in Dolby Digital Plus, Mm. EAC3, to give it its technical term, but Dolby Digital Plus basically. So whenever you're streaming one of those services, as long as your TV or your amp can take Dolby Digital Plus this Fire TV stick will provide the Dolby Digital Plus stream directly through to it. But if you plug it into something older, like an old TV or an old amp that doesn't understand Dolby Digital Plus, you'll just get stereo because it, it's not sort of uh, downsampling, was the wrong word, but you kind of get my gist from yeah, the yeah. Dolby Digital Plus down to Dolby Digital, which is completely universal across all all TVs and all amps, no matter how old they are, they'll all understand, you know, base Dolby Digital. Some of the, and to be honest, most equipment these days will understand Dolby Digital Plus, but certainly my main TV doesn't understand uh, Dolby Digital Plus, uh, but my amp does. So it only works for surround sound when it's plugged into my amp rather than plugged directly into my TV and then using the, you know, audio return channel on the HDMI or the optical out to pass the, sound back to the amp uh so that's the only complication that i think you need to be wary of when you're using this um fire tv light and if you go to like one of the top end streaming devices like your apple tv or your shield they will actually manipulate the signal down to dolby digital um they're obviously paying extra for the licensing to be able to do that to take one format and sort of transcode it into a completely different format you're they're actually encoding in uh, Dolby Digital Normal. So that's obviously what you what you pay for, and that's why, actually, when I was comparing all of these streaming devices that I have, at the end of the day, the Apple TV and the Shield TV are the two best ones by a long shot. Uh, mm. They both basically support every single audio format and every single video format from pretty much all the uh, content suppliers. But, you basically do have to have both of them because the Shield TV doesn't obviously have Apple TV content, if you're particularly bothered about that. Currently, there's also a bit of a bug on uh, Amazon Prime where it only does stereo no matter what on the Shield, certainly that I can uh, determine. I think that's a problem with one of the uh, Android updates that it's recently had knocked out the Amazon Prime app somehow. All the other apps are working absolutely perfectly. Um, but And then... On the Apple TV, it's not great on Plex. It's not uh, perfect on Plex, whereas the Shield on Plex is absolutely unbeatable. It will do absolutely every audio format, and that's including the HD ones and the DTS flavours. A lot of these streaming devices don't support DTS. 
The Shield supports uh, Bitstreaming, DTS and DTS HD, True HD, and Atmos over Dolby Digital Plus and True HD. I mean, it really is a powerhouse for Plex. It does absolutely everything. But the, I, th- I would say that the best image quality that you're going to get and the best support from all the apps is on the Apple TV. So you get the Apple TV for mostly watching your streamed services. And then you get the Shield TV for pretty much filling in the gaps and really good playback for Plex. This the, the is why... I was going to say the Shield always gets rave reviews from everyone. Everyone who I speak to about Plex, they always say, go for the Shield. But the Apple TV, you is, looking at your chart, is absolutely stellar. And it does get, I think it gets more of a bad rap about being useless. And I think that's purely down to the Apple services, not the actual capability of the box. Yeah, I mean, basically, the Apple TV streamer is by far the best streamer, in my opinion. Um, if you had to pick a winner, that's the one that I'd pick. And the good thing about it is you could, you don't have to have any skin in the, you know, the Apple ecosystem game to use it. Um, yes, it obviously plays iTunes content and uh, Apple TV content the best, but you know all the other services are the best on it. You know Netflix is fully supported; everything works. Same with Amazon. Same with Disney Plus. Same with uh, Plex. Okay, it's not bad support for Plex. It's pretty good, and the app is attractive and nice to use. But it doesn't support every single format that you'd want it to support, and it doesn't have um, Google Play Movies, but Google Play Movies as a service seems to be the poorest movie service, I think, that I can see in terms of, um, you know, cost and support and, you know, availability on the platforms and stuff. It's generally, it's actually pretty rubbish on the Shield. You can't get um, HDR content on it. Uh, I think that's because the Shield doesn't support Google's um, VP9 codec, I believe. Uh, So you don't get HDR youtube on the shield and you don't get hdr google play uh movies content which is a bit of a shame but yeah i I would recommend the apple tv to pretty much anyone who wants uh something to stream content from the from the uh, big suppliers and i would recommend it as much to an android user as to an iphone user yeah i've always used the apple tv only because i am in that world anyway but i don't necessarily use iTunes movies. I use Apple TV now, but I never did. I use it for YouTube. I live in YouTube and I use it for Plex. And that is literally it. Never use it for anything else, really, to be fair. YouTube and yeah. Plex. Yeah. Um, and, it, and it's great. Everything I have in Plex th- and I throw at it, perfectly fine. Never yeah. never an issue. Never come up with anything. The only issue is if you really want to um, use the, H- the HD surround sound codecs like DTS HD and True HD and uh, True HD Atmos, then um, Apple TV can't support that uh, on the Plex app. But, you know, that's a small, that's a, that's a fairly niche requirement. You know, it does everything yeah. else well. I was going to say, I've got two kids, so I can't have nice things anyway. They would use it as a jungle gym. So I can't have yeah. nice speakers. No know, surround so. sound speakers. No, not going to happen. Not going to happen. The other thing on the uh, Apple TV is that everything plays at, uh, or everything that should play at 24 frames a second does play at 24 frames a second. Whereas... Um, and that's true of the Shield as well, but a lot of the other streamers, their support of 24 frames a second is patchy at best. Most stuff on most other streamers goes at 60 frames a second, which means it judders on pans and things in films, which is mildly distracting. Um, mm. But to get back to the original point, you do get a hell of a lot of bang for your buck oh, with yeah. that Fire TV light. You know, it's uh, quite an impressive little beast. And also... It is kind of Android at the end of the day underneath. The Plex support on it is pretty good. And if you want, you can load up, you know, Android apps and games and emulators and stuff on that uh, Fire TV stick. So it could be not just something for your movie watching. It could also do some, you know, emulators and gaming on top as well, which is kind of quite a nice USP that's a little bit restricted on obviously the Apple TV's got your Apple TV games and your Shield's got your official Android games. Um, well, I suppose actually you could on the Shield you could uh, add whatever Android uh, apps you want on there as well. But yeah, it's just another consideration for that uh, for these super cheap Fire TV sticks. Yeah, they're not bad, and 
I, I think it, you're right. Black Friday is the only time of the year that we actually do see them as low as that. Um, they've definitely gone back up now. Would I bother with... I see, the only reason I moved to 4K was because the little lad, he threw something through the television. <laughs> yeah. And uh, that was my uh, prompt to move to 4K. So I'm not as much of a TV buff as you. What I more like is the whole network infrastructure behind it. So having the Plex server running on hardware and all that sort of stuff. Uh, maybe I should pay a bit more attention to the screen. But I do have the Apple TV 4K, so um, I suppose I'm I'm sort of in the ballpark, really, aren't I? Yeah, if you've got the Apple TV 4K, all you need is, um, you know, a massive TV and a full cinema surround speaker system. <laughs> I mean, you could be you could get a soundbar, but... Yeah, they get bad press, don't they? Yeah, I mean... Apparently, some of the newer ones are pretty impressive, but uh, I just don't like the idea of um, them just being glorified front speakers rather than uh, being able to provide, you know, music and effects from behind you and to the sides. And, you know, if I did have a full proper Atmos setup, of course, I'd have um, speakers in the ceiling. Obviously, the next time that I do a full home cinema install, (laughs) I'll make sure that I've got speakers in the ceiling as well. I was going to say, and I'll I'll get three or four... um... HomePods, not minis. I'll go for the big ones. I yeah, mean, well, be, those... That'll be my soundbar. They can be used in surround sound now, can't they? I mean, it's an expensive way of kitting out your <laughs> living room for surround sound. But in theory, you could get uh, half a dozen HomePods and uh, get yourself a nice uh, 5.1 surround sound. Yeah, it's crazy. You don't see them cheap anywhere. Everyone, you listen no. to all these American podcasts and they're like, oh, yeah, they're always on offer. They're not over here. They're not mm. over here. That's for yeah, sure. if they were in like a clearance sale, then that would be quite a good option, wouldn't it? You know, pick a whole bunch of them up and uh, use them around the house or just, yeah, try. I think it would be an interesting experiment to try and put them into a, a surround system. And if you were only watching TV through the Apple TV, then it might even be viable. An expensive experiment, James. Expensive. Yeah, for us at the moment in the UK, an expensive experiment, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> okay um i think we've been going for quite a while anyway oh, we have okay well um i'm gonna go and eat some tea james excellent well it's been good chatting dave and uh, hopefully speak soon bye cheers dave <laughs>